Good morning, North Boulevard. I'm really glad to be back with you guys. You know, I received the vaccination against COVID and also even got the booster shot. And then on February 2nd, both Julia and I tested positive for COVID. My symptoms have not been that severe, but they've just been amazingly persistent. So I can't shake the cough. The fatigue thing is a real thing. And then there's the brain fog, which is probably not really good for a preacher to have brain fog. But you guys have been nice to me. Life goes on. I've been working, but I've tried not to come in too much contact with folks. I don't think I'm contagious. I, don't, I haven't had a fever, I don't think, in probably three weeks. But if I avoid you and don't shake your hand, that'll be why. And it's just a thrill to be back with you. Hear that singing. Just really, I miss being with you. So we're working on Hebrews 11, and I'm going to just tell a short story that'll help set up the theme for the day. A guy died and found himself standing outside the gates of heaven. Well, because he was a Christian, he was a little surprised and thought he should have been on the inside, so he knocked on the gates, and an angel opened one of the gates and asked who he is. He said his name. He said, look, I'm a Christian. I just died. I think I'm supposed to be on the inside of these gates. Angel said, okay, well, you're a Christian. He said, just ask you a question or two. He said, have you been a faithful Christian? The guy said, I, I think I have, you know, I've sinned and all, but I've tried to be faithful. Angel said, we like to check with people and See if there's any evidence of your faithfulness. Have you done anything extraordinary, something that you could tell us about? He said, well, yeah. He said, once I was, was traveling through Sturgis, South Dakota, and I pulled over at a gas station. And when I did, he said, I noticed there was a motorcycle gang there. It was a very mean-looking gang. He said they were dangerous-looking. And they had surrounded this woman, and they were really harassing her. And I decided as a matter of faith that I would step in and intervene in her behalf. So I did. I stepped in, told them they couldn't treat her this way. The meanest, roughest looking dude steps up and says, who do you think you are? He said, so as an act of faith, I slapped him upside the head, pushed his bike down on the ground and stomped his foot and said, this is who I am. The angel looked at the guy and said, well, that's pretty impressive. He said, how long ago did that happen? He said, about two minutes ago. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes our act of profound faith doesn't produce the results we thought it should produce. You think about all the times that we might have tried our best in our families. Some of you really did your best to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and then maybe one or two went astray. And you think to yourself, okay, I did everything I was supposed to do, and it didn't seem to work. Or maybe in a marriage, you did everything you thought you should do. You know, you honored your husband or you loved your wife. You really did do everything that you thought you should do. And maybe the marriage just ended up lackluster or you might even have lost a spouse. It could be that you did everything you should do at work. You gave a good day's work for the salary or wages that you receive. You were tried to be honest. You were on time. And then you got passed over for a promotion or maybe even lost your job or the company sold out or something. There's just times in our lives where we think I did everything a faithful person ought to do, but I don't see the results that it seems God has promised to me. As we've worked through Hebrews 11, it seems to me that question should have dawned on some of you, which is, okay, I've tried to be faithful. And sometimes it just doesn't feel like it works. Like it doesn't feel like it's paying off. So this text today might address that question. Actually, there are 
maybe a whole sermon series on it, but can I just pull a few points out of our text today to suggest to you this truth? We do our acts of faith, and God guarantees that He will give the right results, but they come in His time and in His way. I want to look at the text. We're winding down Hebrews 11, and we're going to read verses 32 down to 38. The Hebrew writer has listed all of these important people of faith from the Old Testament, and now he just starts to summarize some of the characters of great faith, mostly from the Old Testament, but I think even one or two might actually be from outside of the Old Testament. Uh, we'll see about that. Let's read the text, make a few observations, and... Um, See if the text doesn't help us with this problem of, I tried to be faithful, but I don't see the results just yet. Here's what he says. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. In one of the most gripping statements in all the Bible, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. The Hebrew writer is just naming all these instances of people who did the right thing by faith. But what you will see when we get to the next few verses next week is that none of them saw the fruition of the faith acts they took. That is, sometimes we act in faith and we simply have to wait for God to fulfill His promises in astronomical ways at times. But on His calendar... And according to his timing, I just walked through a few of them very quickly. Gideon is the guy who led the revolt against the Midianites. He had only 300 men, and he routed thousands of men. Barak defeated Sisera's 900 chariots. The chariot was not really an Israelite weapon at the time. It, it was a very sophisticated work weapon. It was an Apache helicopter, so to speak. And here's this guy has to fight 900 chariots and routes them down in the uh, valley, the Jezreel Valley. Samson brought down the Philistine city of Gaza just with his long hair. Jephthah captured 20 Ammonite towns. David rose from a simple shepherd, the youngest of the brothers, to become the idealized, stylized king of Israel, after whom Jesus himself takes his name. Samuel became the archetype, kingmaker, priest, and prophet. And then we have the prophets who are mentioned in this text, the writing prophets that we read, and then the non-writing prophets whose names sometimes are obscure to us, but were men and women of great faith. We read that these individuals conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions such as Daniel. 
that they quenched the flames such as Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, that they escaped death, had weakness turned to strength, defeated foreign armies, witnessed the dead raised back to life. Two different times in the Old Testament, we have boys who die who were raised back to life, once by Elijah, once by Elisha. We read that sometimes they were tortured but refused release. By the way, this might be one of the extra biblical references. In the book of 2 Maccabees, it does not appear in your Bible, but it was a book that was known in the first century. Their description of a woman who had seven sons who chose to be faithful to God when the Greeks came in and were forcing the Jews to be unfaithful. And she watched as all seven of them were killed before her eyes and none of them would give up on the name of their God. These individuals faced jeers and flogging and chains in prison, a likely reference to Jeremiah, if not to many others, who, though he wept over Jerusalem, found himself mistreated by those who lived there, executed by stoning, sawn in two. The rabbi said that Isaiah the prophet, who wrote the longest Old Testament book, Isaiah the prophet, the longest prophetic book, had to hide from wicked King Manasseh, which he did in the hollow of a tree. When he was discovered there, they locked him in the tree and then sawed him in half with the tree. They were killed by the sword. We read about these great heroes who were dressed in sheepskins and goatskins, who endured poverty and persecution and mistreatment, who wandered in the deserts and in the mountains, who lived in caves and holes in the ground. And each case, what the Hebrew writer wants us to know is they had to live by faith. That is, they did not receive that which was promised in their lifetime. They had to act on faith. They had to live as though the promise was secure, even though they couldn't be sure about it. They had to do the right thing, even when it didn't feel like it was working. Like really, that's the message I want you to take home here, that sometimes we just have to do the right thing, even if it feels as though it's not working, because we learn to trust the God who guarantees the right results. In fact, to dig down on this concept of faith, we go back to Hebrews 11 and verse 1. We were actually told this is really what faith is. That faith is a feeling, if you want, or it's an outlook, or if you like, an attitude or a decision. But notice that faith always has an object. That it's not faith in and of itself. Faith is the road, but the road always has a destination. The destination in Hebrews 11 and verse 1 the promises of God. We don't have faith in faith. We don't have faith in ourselves. We have faith in the promises of God. And so we have confidence, he says. We have assurance, but the confidence is in the hope of what God has promised. And the assurance is in the unseen promises of God. So each of these heroes who starts ordinary becomes extraordinary, not because they received the results of their righteousness immediately, but because they trusted that God would do something with them eventually. And he does. He does for us too. And it's this kind of faith that verse 6 says is necessary for you to please God. The willingness to do the faithful thing, to choose to do the right thing, even when you don't see the results. The choice to say, I believe 
that if I do this, even if it doesn't feel like it works, by the way, I want to say this, working is really overrated. The idea that something has to work, that's an overrated concept. That if I'm going to do this, it'll work and I will get that. That's kind of a sub-biblical concept. That at the end of the day, we do what's right because that's who we are. We do what's right because it's right, not because it works. But the promise of God is that He always rewards even the smallest glass of water. And so I want to just make some application of some of these principles for the next couple of minutes, talking about how faith works. And I'll start with this principle, that even faith the size of a mustard seed, which is the size of the period, a little bit bigger than a period in your Bible, even faith that small can move mountains. So the Hebrew writer mentions Gideon. You may remember Gideon starts out with thousands of soldiers, but he concludes this is too many. By the way, who would ever conclude I have too many soldiers for a battle? But Gideon does because he wants the Israelites to understand who really is in charge. So he whittles his army down to 300 men. He doesn't equip them with the finest weapons. Instead, he gives them a torch and a pitcher. He says, stick the torch in the pitcher. In the middle of the night, we're going to break the pitchers. When the Midianites hear the sound and see all the lights suddenly around them, we'll see who's in charge. And the Midianites were so shocked by it, they took off running and they began to kill each other. And Gideon shows that God is in charge. The very smallest of activity ends up routing the Midianites. As Jesus says in Matthew 17, a beautiful text, one which Ascension, Ascension Hospital very um, wisely, I think, adopted for kind of their slogan. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing shall be impossible for you. I just want you to see that sometimes the very smallest act of faith that you may not realize will produce fantastic fruit is still the right thing to do. So you guys know the last uh, couple of weeks I have had this COVID. I haven't wanted to get out. So last week I actually preached a sermon from my home office. I've gotten a whole lot of comments from this sermon, which I'm grateful for. The comments center on two things. One is, why was I drinking a diet root beer? And the other was, what is this thing over my right shoulder? I just want to make sure you understand. I was preaching. You might not have noticed that because evidently you were noticing all the other stuff. But I was preaching too. That there was a sermon and all of that as you were kind of wandering around trying to figure out how much longer this is going to last. And I have been asked a dozen times, what is this? I'm just going to answer. Just before she was two years old, I was playing with Legos with my daughter Rachel, and she put this together, took a Sharpie and wrote all over it, and handed it to me, and it was the very first gift that Rachel ever gave me. Now, you men understand. Probably you, you girls do too. There is a bond between a dad and a daughter that's indescribable. If you haven't had that joy, I hope you do one day. I put it on the, I actually wrote on there Rachel's first gift, and I've set it on my shelf. As you can see, it's right on my shelf. Next time I have to preach from the house, you, you get bored, you can just stare at that for a little while. <laughs> I'll try to bring a diet root beer with me and give you something else to think about. 
honestly, I have to tell you about that. I filmed myself preaching, and after I finished the sermon, I went to the camera, and I, it had not come on. So I had spent 36 minutes filming, not filming myself, and so I did a second take of it. And I'm not making this up. Evidently, I had turned it on when I thought I was turning it off the first time. So when I turned it the second time, I turned it off instead of on. So I preached a sermon a second time and didn't record myself. (laughs) And the third time I recorded myself, and about five minutes into it, I was so parched that I needed something to drink. And there was a diet root beer bottle that had been sitting there, I guess, for several weeks. And it it was like, that's it. At this point, I'll take anything. So... It wasn't really planned. It was in desperation. Okay, every job, every life has its moments of loneliness. I would say if you're a a mother, sometimes being a mother, I think, can be a very lonely thing, whatever your career is. And in ministry, it can be lonely sometimes. It just can. Um, Every minister understands that. Ministry is sometimes very lonely. And oftentimes when I feel really lonely in ministry, that, you know, it's kind of hard to understand what ministers do and the stress sometimes that we feel. You know what I do? I kind of pull this out. Because this little monument to me tells me that there is one human on planet Earth who thinks I can do no wrong. By the way, the feeling is mutual. And that one little gift, I just, like it's worth to me more than most anything else I have. Because it's a reminder that there's a little girl out there who thinks that I can do no wrong. That little act of faith actually means an awful lot to me. I just want to say that sometimes the littlest things can add up to become the biggest things. So last week in the sermon that you probably didn't hear because you were looking at the uh, Diet Root Beer bottle, I mentioned Ellie Stevens, how in 2013, she had sold cookies and gave her money to the 2020 vision. And I just mentioned the money that she gave has gone all over the world. It's gone all over the world. And that she might not even remember that to some extent. So maybe it's today, as she looks back on it, Ellie's, I think, 19 or 20. It's not that big of a deal to her. But what she doesn't realize is God will continue to use those resources and those gifts. So next Sunday... North Boulevard's children's ministry is doing what we're calling North Boulevard Marketplace. Now, the Marketplace is a second round where our children, this is at East Campus and West Campus, they've been making things and cooking things and collecting things, and they want to sell it to the rest of us. So it's between first and second service. I think they'll probably start around 9, but certainly by 9.30 they'll be going full scale. They're going to take all the money and they're going to give it to the New Day Vision this giving campaign. And I just want to say again, whatever money they collect, it will go around the world making disciples. Here are two of our girls. They're making, um, I even have to look it up what it's called, bath bombs, because I have no idea what that is. Doesn't sound very smart, but um. (laughs) Ellie Parsons and Lottie Rogers are making bath bombs. And um, Evidently, these have something to do with a bath, and you're supposed to buy these next week. And here's what I want to say to you. So these two little girls, I give it decent odds that in 15 years, they will not even remember they did this. But what they give will go around the world because Jesus says, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, I will use it to move a mountain. 
So here's what I want you to do next week. I want you to go down to the Boulevard Marketplace and pay $50 for one of these bombs. Just shock them. I'm just saying this is how faith works. I get it. Sometimes we do all these things that we think are hard, but they're faithful. It's the right thing to do. And we don't see the results. But somewhere on the other side of the fence, on the other side of the world, the little seed that we dropped here is blooming into a massive garden. We just don't see it. But that doesn't mean it's not there. Because that's what God does. So second, let me say this. When we take a step of faith, it triggers the provisions of God. I've said this before. Through experience, I've come to conclude that God does not respond to my needs as much as he responds to my faith. Like, I got all kinds of needs. I wish God would give me this. I wish he would give me that. You know, I pull into Walmart and I want the closest parking spot and all that kind of stuff. I, I want to stop coughing. What I have noticed in life is sometimes God says, okay, I'm going to respond to your need. But what he really likes to respond to is my faith. And I want to say, North, so I'm going to introduce you to a brother here in just a second who has seen miracles galore. And I hear people in North America say, well, does God still do miracles? And my answer is, no. Why would he do miracles to people who don't have any faith anyway? If you don't take a step of faith, why would God act in a miraculous way? God responds miraculously to people who take giant steps of faith. He responds to faith. He gives us what we need when we decide to make a step of faith. Until you make a step of faith, why would God bother to give you what you need? That is, our faith triggers God's provision. I think about it when I think about the 23rd Psalm and the 23rd Psalm. We have this situation where David is a shepherd boy in the fields outside Bethlehem. Really rugged fields, by the way. Very remote. But when he finally takes these steps of faith and becomes the king of Israel, what does he discover? But that God prepares a table before him. He discovers that God anoints his head. He discovers that his cup overflows. He discovers that goodness and love or mercy will follow him all the days of his life. That is, God gives us what we need when we take a step of faith. In 2013, I have her permission to share this story, but I don't want to share her name. One of our members discovered her husband was having an affair, and he once discovered, made his declaration, and he left his wife, which is a grave uh, sin and one for which you're going to have to answer. Jesus said, when God joins you together, you don't have a right to put it asunder. I make sure we get that clear, because sometimes I'm not sure we know that when I find out that we have members who are leaving their spouses for someone else, and they think, well, God wants me to be happy. You know what God wants? He wants you to be holy. That's what he wants. He wants you to be holy. Devastated, she comes to me and a few others and asks for prayers. She eventually got connected to three women, who said, hey, we want you to come to celebrate recovery where God can, God can help you walk through a healing process. She went, and the first time she went, she sat towards the back. She tried to be anonymous, which is, that's how most of us would approach it. It's the right way to approach it. It's a fine way to approach it. The more she was involved, the more she realized, God actually can heal me if I will turn this over to him. She also, by the way, got involved in Timothy Network, which is the disciple-making network that's been in, North, in Rutherford County, Murfreesboro, for more than 15 years. And the more she went down this path of healing and of surrendering to God and walking in faith, not only was she healed, but soon she began to lead other women. 
And what she said to me at some point back there was, I am certainly not glad that I lost my husband, my marriage fell apart. But I'm so glad that God has used this now for me to heal other people. It's like we actually get what we need when we start walking down the path of faith. Do you all know, just, this is just an aside, it sounds like a brag, but I just want to make sure you understand some of the cool things that God's done. You all know that North Boulevard not only has a Celebrate Recovery, we've helped start six other Celebrate Recoveries at other churches. And think of how many people are finding the healing hand of God for hurts and habits and hang-ups just because someone said, hey, let's take a step of faith. So my daughter sent me this, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a month or so ago. Y'all will know her as uh, Daisy Skidmore, but she gave up the Skidmore name for some reason and became a Montgomery. Daisy is an artist. She's done very well and has great work and just, just, what is she? But a superlative human being, just fantastic human being. And uh, Rachel sent this to me and said, hey, Dad, you should notice that Daisy has drawn these uh, prints of North Boulevard, and she's selling them for $22. By the way, y'all can go online and find them. And she said she's already raised more than $1,000 by selling these prints of North Boulevard. And it got me just started thinking, okay, there you go. You take a little step of faith, and the next thing you know, you got $1,000 in hand by drawing a simple picture of a church building. It's, uh, what I'm trying to say is this. We take a step, and God says, thank you. Let me show you that I can give you the provisions you need. I, 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 I'm going to run out of time, which I did at first service, but you got to let me do this one. So in 1994, we were living on, uh, North Boulevard was living on uh, North Tennessee Boulevard, which is called MT, MTSU Boulevard now. We were landlocked with about four, a little bit more than four acres, and we were growing. And uh, we had a member who gave us the property that the East Campus sits on now. So those of you who are in this building with me, we were given these 17 acres by a member who really wanted to break the logjam and say, hey, you can, we can build, we can do better. And here was a surprise to me. We went to the banks and we couldn't get a loan. Like it was just a surprise to me that nobody wanted to loan money to North Boulevard. I don't know that we had enough assets. We could get a small loan, but we couldn't get the full loan. And I could remember for about six months, we were kind of in panic mode trying to figure out how we we're going to raise the money or do we just have to stay where we are and never expand? And during the prayers, I could just remember so many prayers. Lord, if you want us to grow, give us what we need. Just give us what we need. It took three years to get the loan secured and then the building built. So it was 1997 before we actually got to the property where I'm preaching from right now. When we moved here, it happened to be our 50th anniversary as a congregation. So we did a time capsule that's in the, buried in the wall. So we have a lot of you online. I'm pointing to you online, and if you just look to my left, behind this wall over here is a time capsule that has all these memories and prayers and whatnot. It's hard for me to imagine that that was 25 years ago, and that this year we're reaching now our 75th birthday. And I want to throw this date at you because Sunday, September 18th, God willing, we want to have kind of a birthday party for North Boulevard. But here's what I learned in that. We were bumping about 1,000 people. When we started praying, if you, Lord, if you want us to expand, you're going to have to give us the money. Since that time, we now have 2,500 people. There'll be 2,500 people in this service today. 
At the time that we started praying that, we had planted, I think, somewhere in the vicinity of 12 churches. Last I heard, in partnership with New Generations and several other organizations, we've now planted over 500 churches. When we took the step of faith, God responded by saying, okay, let me give you some resources. That it's just as though God says, you take the step and I'll do what I need to do to get you to where I want you to be. Sometimes we might think to ourselves, I just, I'm not, it's not working, I'm not getting the results I want. But God's in charge of the results. And he's a faithful God. He's a trustworthy God. God is in charge of the results. He will come through in his way and at his time. And it'll be a lot better than you think. So I'm going to end with this one. Isaiah is one of the ones mentioned, I think, obliquely at least, in Hebrews 11. When we read about the guy being sawn asunder, I think that's Isaiah. Uh, it would be really shocking if it weren't, since he's the only one who had that tradition about him. Think of this. Beginning at chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah begins to look way down the road and see what it's going to look like when God restores his creation. And Isaiah says in 65, quoting God, See, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered. They will not come to mind. Be glad and rejoice. And then Isaiah, if you kept reading, he talks about this beautiful creation God is going to bring. Here's the deal. Isaiah never saw it. He was martyred. Though he could talk about what God is going to do, it didn't work for him if we're measuring what works. Instead, by faith, he had to depend upon this truth. God will produce a result that's better than you can imagine. So it's been a terrible week again, as though we haven't had enough. Vladimir Putin invades the Ukraine. We just want to say it very clearly. God will hold Vladimir Putin responsible. He will stand before a judge who has far more power than Putin has. God holds the world accountable. We will stand before a just judge. Furthermore, God didn't cause him to invade the Ukraine. That wasn't God who did that. That was Satan who did that. But I can tell you, God will take this tragic event and he will use it for good. And all those people who are praying for Ukraine, watch this. Somehow or another, God will take what we could not have seen and turn it into a harvest of rightness. And so this tweet just came out last night. A Ukrainian soldier who's ministering to people and leading them to Jesus. They were not susceptible three weeks ago, but I guarantee you a lot of Ukrainians are listening to the gospel right now. God will use it. We can't imagine what God will do. And even as we talk about this giving campaign, a very good question that comes up, it's a legitimate question. If you've asked this question to me, I'm not, I'm saying yes, it was the right question to ask, but let me address it. A question has come up, why don't we take this money and just give it to the poor? Why don't we build orphanages with it? Why don't we build homeless shelters with it? The answer is that would be a good thing to do. But I want to make sure you understand, if you make disciples, you will get orphanages. If you make disciples, you will get homeless shelters. If you make disciples, you will not only help the poor get food, you will save their souls. You not only help their bodies, you help their souls. As Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And so when we go to the global south, 
Our planting churches and making disciples in partnership with these organizations has led to the building of 70 schools so far. We could have gone and built a school, but by making disciples, we got 70 schools. It could have, we could have gone and built a clinic, but by making disciples, we have dozens of clinics because that's what disciples do, and we have saved souls to go with it. We could have started sports teams. How fun would that have been? Instead, we've got coaches who make disciples and baptize every soccer player who comes on their field. We have radio stations because we make disciples. We have children all across the global south who are being adopted by disciples because we made disciples and disciples adopt. That's what we do. We have people who couldn't get a job, but because we made disciples, they now have well-paying jobs. We have individuals who started universities because we made disciples. We have dental clinics because we made disciples. What I'm arguing is this. When you take that step of faith and say, okay, let's bring the world to Jesus, God will take that and do all kinds of things you couldn't have foreseen. Who would have thought that if you made disciples in Sierra Leone, you would get 70 schools? Or hundreds of people adopted. Shadonke Johnson connected to Murfreesboro for the first time because of the son he adopted who required medical help and was brought here through friend Jerry Trousdale. And oh my goodness, that story is so remarkable and I'm out of time and I actually still have one more thing to do. If Shadonke had not come here, Jerry, I don't know if this is true or not, Jerry's sitting out here, Jerry and his new wife, Rita who is a little bit of a big deal at another church, I just want to say. If Shadonke had not come here and you guys had not heard David Watson, I mean just those little things back in the year 2000, we might not have ever even heard of disciple-making movements. But because he adopted and his son needed health care, we had some doctors here who were willing to care for him, and the adopted son was brought here, 60,000 churches were planted. Isn't that better? I mean, isn't that better? That's what God can do on a step of faith. And that leads me to this. God took this man, the one on the, your left, if I can get my remote to work. This man was uh, one of nine children. His father had given him the blessing of being a defender of the Muslim faith. He's from the Fulani tribe, which is one of the largest tribes in West Africa. And they see themselves as staunch defenders of the Muslim faith. When he was in university in the late 1980s, he heard a Christian, he only knew a few, he heard a Christian called Jesus the Son of God, which was very offensive. And it led to a long process of God bringing him into a discipling relationship with an individual who said, just pray, just pray, Lord, show yourself. And this guy, Yunusa Jow, began to say, Lord, okay, whatever you want to do. And he, he kept hearing a voice in response quoting the scripture, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. By the way, Yunusa didn't even like it. When he first met his disciple, he wanted to punch him out. And he's a pretty big man, but because he was in his house, decided to be nice. Eventually, God got hold of Yunusa Jal, and now Yunusa Jal, defender of the Islamic faith, coaches on the ground, real live on the ground coaching 60,000 churches, 
Somebody prayed. Somebody did something. Someone said Jesus is the son of God and changed the continent of Africa. Across the continent of Africa are countless graves of white missionaries who went there all through the late 1800s and early 1900s who might have baptized a couple of hundred people. And then one day God got hold of people like Yanusa Jow and has brought almost half a billion people to Jesus. And by the way, I want to call your news up because he's here with us right now. <laughs> this is uh, Yanusa's, he's one of my favorite men, and I, I, he's a very modest and humble man. And I don't know how to say this, and I'm not touching people, I, otherwise I'd give you my hug, but COVID and all that. I don't know how to say this to you guys. This guy's bigger than Billy Graham. You just don't know it because he's modest. He's a modern-day Apostle Paul who's seen millions of people come to Jesus as a former Muslim who got the call from Jesus. So I'd ask you, Noose, if I could just ask you a question. You've seen the faith I'm talking about. I have a vision of what it could look like. I haven't seen what you've seen. Tell me about the faith you've seen, Yanusa Jal. Thank you, David. Good morning. Um, in 2003, 2004, uh, Sri that you just talked about, uh, Jerry and myself, we were looking at the continent of Africa, uh, especially Sub-Saharan Africa, and we, we saw that there were some people group that are called the gateway people group. If they are reached, it will bring a big change on the continent. Uh, one, one of my dream when I became Christian was uh, to reverse what my people have done by spreading Islam. So I wanted to reverse that. So from wanting to see Africa become a continent of Islam, now I want to see Africa for Jesus. So it means that the gospel should, uh, you know, be spread all over. And we found 16 people group. And for us, if these people group were reached, it would change everything. So by faith, we started praying. Well, three of us, you know, were seeing all these the Hausa people, the Fulani, the Malenke, it was like, what can you do? <laughs> so we, we started praying, fasting, and crying to God, Lord, give us this people group. And j just one example, in, in North Africa, uh, well, let me say the name, I, I trust you that you will not uh, uh, put that on Facebook. It is, it is online. online, okay. So let's say in North Africa, one country, <laughs> that uh, uh, you know, for, for, for centuries, it was very difficult. Even uh, Jerry and I, we visited that country, and when we left, a few weeks later, one of the missionaries were killed in that country. So we, we started praying and trying to find out, okay, even if there is all this persecution, uh, there is all this killing, uh, 
now that we have found uh, that DMM is working in different places and difficult places, let's go there by faith. So we started praying. We engaged this country, and it was difficult. It was difficult because uh, we found a situation in this country, the, the few Christ followers in that country were involved in all kinds of things. So uh, we launched, and when we started seeing, uh, you know, a few churches, there was a big persecution, and all of that vanished. So it was very discouraging, but we said, no, let's continue, because God is doing his work. And uh, this doesn't depend on us. We are praying that God will do what only he can do, not what we can do. And then uh, we continued. And then a few churches again. And uh, one of the disciple makers were arrested, threatened. And not only he went back to Islam, but he gave up all the network to the government. So again, everything collapsed. But you say, no, let's continue. And today in that country, we have, in, there are five people group, and this is the country where No Boulevard is supporting one of the people group. Uh, in, in, we have five people group in that country. And in the main people group of this country, very difficult, uh, we have more than 100, I think, uh, 58 uh, churches today. So we have a movement. And uh, well, when we see that, we also remember that for, you know, years and years, a lot of Christians have been praying. Some of them, you know, lost their life in the country. Uh, so it is like, okay, we, we came... Uh, and stood on what others have done. And God is blessing that. And today we thank God that uh, there is a breakthrough in that uh, country. And our dream, and we are praying that from that country it will reach other uh, North African countries. I'm going to ask you to pray over us in just a minute. I've run, it, I've run us out of time, but I want you to pray over us. I want to say, when I read from Hebrews 11, people in goatskin and sheepskin and destitute and living in deserts and mountains and so forth. Um, those are actually real life stories in Yanusa's life. That is, he's, he's, these are familiar stories. Here's a man who's lost a number of friends to martyrdom, but are filled with joy because of what Hebrews says. That is, they have confidence in things hoped for, assurance of things not yet seen. So when we talk about raising money for the Global South disciple-making movements, our biggest partner is Yunusa and Harry Brown, who's also here with New Generations. I think we've given, I, I'm not a, sure about the money, but something around $250,000 a year. We want to increase that by about 400000 so between six dollars and $700,000 a year to accelerate these movements, the result of which will be orphanages, schools, water wells, clinics, dental, and saved souls. That's what we're trying to do. 
And so this guy has, he's leading the charge. They'll be in the Middle East. They'll be all over the world with this gospel. And so I've just asked you, and he said, I'm sorry I have run us out of time. By the way, you can watch, we, we recorded the, the hour before this, and uh, there's an interview. Yanusa has a lot more to say there. But I just would like, if you will, to say us a, a prayer, a prayer over North Boulevard, and then we'll have our song. Thank you. Uh, I want to pray that what is happening here will happen here. God can do it. Lord, I want to thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for all these nations that you are bringing in the kingdom. You ask us to go and make all the nation disciples of Christ. And Lord, you are doing your work, and I want to praise you. And I want to thank you for the partnership between North Boulevard and New Generations. Thank you for the fruit that we are already seeing. And Lord, I pray for much more fruit. I pray that you will continue to bless this partnership. And also, Lord, I pray that what you are doing in different parts of country, uh, in Africa, Lord, I pray that you will make it happen here in the U.S., here in Tennessee. I pray that, and Lord, I trust that you will do it. And very soon, you will talk about movement in this state. In the name of Jesus, amen. To, thank you to you, Newton, more time. And we'll, let's stand up. Sean, you'll uh, lead us in a song. And uh, we we'll just ask you, find that faith.